Welcome to the South Carolina State Library's podcast, Library Voices SC. I'm Curtis Rogers, Communications Director, and today I'm pleased to have with us in our virtual podcast studio, Sean Ferguson. Sean is a preservation specialist for the Northeast Document Conservation Center and works from his home office in Alexandria, Virginia. He provides preservation information and outreach to clients nationwide, including assessments, consultations, training programs, and disaster assistance. From July 2018 to June 2019, he served as the NEDCC's Performing Arts Readiness Emergency Preparedness Consultant, say that fast five times, for New England, providing emergency preparedness consultations and training to performing arts organizations. So welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me, Curtis. I'm excited to be here. Uh, talk about some of my work and also the work we'll be doing in South Carolina next year. Great. Yeah, we're excited and looking forward to it. So tell us a little bit more about the NEDCC and what you do there. Uh, so uh, at NEDCC, uh, we're a conservation center based in uh, Andover, Massachusetts, just north of Boston. Uh, but we work with clients across the country uh, on what well, we're known for conservation work on paper-based materials, photographs, bound volumes, uh, those types of materials, but we also digitize uh, those types of media in our imaging lab. Uh, and we reformat uh, analog uh, audio media, a lot of uh, open reels, audio cassettes, uh, even Ellis Edison cylinders. Uh, so we, we really cover quite the range of services in-house. Uh, and then I'm from the Preservation Services Department, which is our education and consulting branch of the center and we really go all over the place uh, i'm actually as you mentioned i'm based in alexandria virginia uh, and you know in the past year i've been uh, working with organizations in california oklahoma and michigan and soon south carolina so you know we really get around uh, and we do the the workshops uh the webinars um we do site visits when it is safe to do so we do remote site visits now consulting with clients to help them improve their capacity for preservation, collection stewardship, and also emergency preparedness. Very cool. And um, how long has NEDCC been around and is it a nonprofit? How does it operate? We were founded in 1973. Uh, we're a 501c3 nonprofit with an emphasis on working with cultural heritage institutions. Uh, though we also serve private individuals, uh, you know, they can sign up for all of our webinars and our trainings and the like, uh, and also can send us materials for conservation treatment as well. But definitely the emphasis is on working with cultural heritage institutions and nonprofits across the country. And when you say cultural heritage institutions, what are, what are those made up of? We, we work with um, a real range from libraries, archives, uh, museums, historical societies. Uh, in my training and consulting work, uh, I've worked with very large um, archives and special collections of, you know, large research universities uh, down to uh, entirely volunteer run historical societies and uh, commissions in small towns. Okay, so it sounds like it really runs the gamut. Um, so how did you get interested in conservation and preservation? 
That's a good question. Uh, so, you know, like a lot of the people that I work with, uh, I have a library information science background. Uh, and through all the pre-professional and internship work that I was doing, um, I found that preservation was this, uh, this current or stream that ran through, uh, you know, being a volunteer in technical services uh, to doing digital asset management, uh, like all these variety of things you try out. Um, and the idea of preserving materials uh, in the service of access, long-term access, uh, was re what really caught me. The idea that, um, you know, I'm taking care of something now that, you know, allows it to be available in the short term, but also, you know, 100, 200 years from now, working, you know, in some way with those people who will be working with these collections really enticed me. Um, but having the opportunity to work with a place like NEDCC, where my work is consulting uh, and training uh, it really blends this preservation work and collections care work with a social element. I, I mean, most of my work is talking to people or talking at people through trainings and things like that. Uh, and I find that, you know, preservation, while it's also about long-term access, it's also about preventing loss. And loss is a thing that I think causes people a lot of anxiety. Uh, and when I do trainings or consultations designed to improve people's capabilities around preservation. One thing I find that I'm doing is I'm building confidence uh, for these organizations and reducing their anxiety. And so I think I'm caring for collections, uh, but I think I'm also, I hope, uh, making uh, the lives of the people who work with these collections just a little better because they feel a little better at their job, a little sh more sure that they're going to provide that long-term access to these collections that I'm hoping to promote. Exactly. And one of the things you mentioned earlier was digitization. And you know, when you think about libraries and archives and other related organizations and how they uh, digitize information, not only to preserve it, but to make it more widely available is really important because if someone is doing research from England, you know, they can just get online and, and find a lot of what they need if, if items are properly digitized. So um, when, when we talk about digitization, what are the different kinds of things involved with different types of preservation or digitization, such as audio files or, or physical books or, or video? What all different kinds of things do you have to deal with? Oh, that's a good question. And I feel like, uh, yeah, definitely the tendency is to think about like with digitization or preservation, like how do I, I what are the, the special needs of each individual format I'm working with? I think there's also a helpful way to frame it, especially in a discussion like this. What are the, the types of concerns that are present in like all types of digitization uh, and preservation projects? Um, to do it properly, as you mentioned, because digitization can be a hugely uh, beneficial uh, project for a library to undertake. Um, it's important to think about uh, ensuring to the best of your own institution's ability the highest quality of capture, whether that is an audio cassette and you want the most, uh, you know, the audio recording with the highest fidelity and accuracy to what is present on the tape. Uh, the same can be said for photographs. We want the most accurate image, the most color accurate image, and the most detailed image. Sometimes your the, the need you have can be met in-house with whatever equipment you have, but sometimes you think about outsourcing. Um, but we also think about selecting file formats that are sustainable uh, and don't uh, 
or maybe how, how do I say this? Like they, they set you up for success. Uh, so, you know, we aim for in an ideal world, you're digitizing to a, a format that doesn't use what's called lossy compression, uh, which as its name indicates, uh, causes loss to the ones and zeros that comprise the file, and that you're choosing a file format that is likely to be well-supported and easily accessible for as long as possible. Uh, and so those are uniting practices uh, that inform you know, the digitization of video, audio, or, or documents, um, and also that you don't cause harm to the original, which can be a huge challenge. Um, for, you know, I mean, if you've got a flatbed scanner and you try to scan a rare book on that, you're pressing that book up against a flatbed uh, that's going to harm the binding. Um, so, you know, we navigate all those issues when we think about digitization. Yeah, and it really is amazing for each different kind of format because I've visited and spoken to film librarians and you know, for moving pictures and for old film and how they have to keep it stored in a temperature controlled environment is, you know, it's just, it kind of blows your mind to think about all the things you have to do for each different type of format. Right, right. Uh, and I think with motion picture film, especially uh, the acetate motion picture film found in collections, the nitrate, uh, those two types of uh, motion picture film, I mean, that is not, you know, when they designed that, they were not setting themselves up for success when it came to preservation. There's so many inherent flaws uh, in those formats. Um, and it leads digitization to being, in those cases, a solution uh, to the inevitable loss of the original, um, unless, you know, stored in extremely, extremely cold conditions, which, you know, it just slows deterioration that is happening uh, inevitably. Right. And I, I remember learning that sometimes that acetate and whatever else can actually spontaneously combust at some point. So you have to be really careful. Well, uh, the, the acetate, uh, actually, it's called safety film because it doesn't spontaneously. Combust, I got you. Uh, but it's the nitrate uh, that is the notorious uh, format for, you know, uh, setting whole uh, archives of uh, film collections ablaze uh, and why we have such a loss in our uh, film history um, due to those studio fires. Uh, so, yeah. Well, this just goes to show what an important job duty you guys have. <laughs> um, so you mentioned earlier about the um, training that is gonna be offered here in South Carolina. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about that? Right, right, absolutely. So the the training that's going to be offered in South Carolina uh, will run from March to June. Uh, it's a four-month training program designed to get representatives from cultural heritage institutions, whether you're a large university library or a small historical society, uh, an updated and uh, tried and reviewed disaster plan, uh, and to equip you with the knowledge you need to respond to emergencies effectively uh, that could impact your site and your collections. Uh, and it also, uh, sort of a side objective as well, is to promote collaboration 
dialogue between participants. Uh, the way that this regional course or training has been created uh, is that there are three areas. We've got uh, upstate South Carolina, the Midlands, uh, and then the Low Country and PD as a group, uh, so along the coast. Uh, and we hope to get 33 registrants per region uh, to participate together, and they'll take all their classes together uh, and have conversations together uh, in a really, um, you know, a 360 approach to preparedness in that we, you know, we cover everything from assessing the risks, like knowing what could happen to your building, so you know what to prepare for, getting that disaster plan updated, uh, thinking about how to salvage materials. We're going to do hands-on salvage. Whether or not we can be physically present for that, because we do have to be mindful of the pandemic, we've designed a way to do hands-on salvage uh, training remotely or in person. Um, and then we'll we'll test them in tabletop disaster exercises. We'll test your disaster plans that you write and we review. Uh, I think maybe one of the most important things to say, and I perhaps I should have led with this, it's all free. Uh, it's a free course. Um, and so I think it's a rare opportunity where we are so thankful, NEDCC is so thankful for the South Carolina State Library for choosing us to, to do this work uh, and for uh, IMLS to be uh, funding the work. Um, and I, I'll say this also, we have a, a cap at 100 registrants. Uh, registrations are going pretty fast at this point. We're not even to the end of the year uh, and we're more than past halfway to our capacity of 100. Uh, and so we strongly recommend people sign up as soon as possible uh, to, to reserve their seat. Um, we're really excited to offer this opportunity. I think it is like, a, you know, whether you're coming from a perspective of being pretty prepared already and you just need to brush up, maybe you haven't done hands-on salvage in a while, maybe you want somebody to look at your disaster plan, that's a good reason to sign up. Or if you've never done emergency preparedness before, this is going to take you from zero to 100 uh, in terms of what you need uh, to become uh, like a, a prepared uh, individual within your organization and to advance the preparedness of your organization. And the other thing I want to emphasize is that we're talking about cultural organizations, cultural institutions, and not just libraries. So the people that can sign up for this free training that's provided through um, us and the Institute of Museums and Library Services, um, you know, can be from a small town museum, can be from a local arts organization, um, anything that falls into that category of a cultural organization. That's right. That's right. Um... And I'll, I'll mention a side, uh, an adjacent component of the project as well, uh, which if, if you're feeling like you are really quite prepared, uh, you have the skills to do emergency salvage or you're from the emergency preparedness sector and maybe the one thing you haven't done yet is cultural uh, heritage response, but you wanna be able to work with cultural heritage organizations in sort of a, either a consulting or a training basis, we do have what's called the Train the Trainer program. And we encourage people who are uh, um, more prepared and wanna spread the knowledge themselves uh, to sign up for that. They'd be helping teach the course. They'd help to facilitate, um, learn how it's done with the mind for being able to then do that type of training in the future and they receive a stipend and get their travel expenses should there be any travel covered. Uh, so that it's a side component to the program, but I think we also want to make sure that um, 
as we build capacity within these institutions, we also build the, the training capacity in South Carolina to have more people who can do this type of work in the future. Exactly, and that, that's in, very important for us to be thinking about. Um, so when you are talking about conservation and preservation, I think a lot of people maybe don't understand the difference. Can you maybe tell our listeners, you know, most important things to take away uh, from this conversation? You know, what's the difference in conservation versus preservation and also how all that fits into being prepared? Oh, sure, sure. I, you know, disambiguating conservation and preservation, um, you could look it up and see, I think like a couple of ways to parse it and separate it uh, conversationally, how we might separate them uh, working at NEDCC, working with our clients, you're working with a conservator when you need to have uh, a rare book or a rare photograph repaired. Damage has occurred to it, it's deteriorated, it's, maybe it's discolored um, or it, those types of things, and somebody is going to try to stabilize it, uh, make sure that no further harm comes to it, uh, it's not restoration, it's not making it look brand new, but these are people who have a, a healthy science background and work careful, closely with their hands. They're kind of like the surgeons that you go to. Um, preservation, uh, the way we frame it, if you're doing preservation work, it's about the preventive care. You might also hear this framed as preventive conservation. Uh, and, and so it's about preventing that harm from coming. Uh, not being a conservator myself, not working with my hands, uh, and then working with these people who do work regularly with their hands, repairing these materials, kind of frame myself as like your, your general practitioner doctor, who you should have a check-in with and try to make sure you don't get sick. But when you do get sick, maybe you're going to have to go to the conservator who's going to have to get you better through some treatment. Um, that might be the analogy that I would use there. Uh, the way emergency preparedness all factors into this is, uh, you know, we're trying to prevent harm. Uh, and I think a lot of preservation work, we think about the slow type of deterioration that happens to materials. Emergency preparedness is just preventing the fast kind of deterioration that happens to materials, the floods, the fires, uh, human-made disasters as well. Um, and so uh, I think that type of prevention and mitigation that goes into that, it, uh, it falls under the, the preservation umbrella and we think about how do we prevent that kind of harm from happening. Well, I know one thing about being in South Carolina and having such a long coastline, every hurricane season, I know our coastal libraries are always thinking and preparing themselves for the worst. So it's something that we always have to, to worry about. The other thing in South Carolina that a lot of people don't know is there is a pretty large, um, pretty large earthquake fault that runs from Charleston up to Columbia. And so, in fact, just not too long ago, we had a, a little, it was under under 3.0, but uh, still some folks could feel that. And I myself have even felt a, a small earthquake while I was in my office at the State Library some years back. So I think a lot of people don't realize um, all the different kinds of things that a, a cultural heritage organization needs to be prepared for. I think that's well said. Um, and maybe I'll just say like a plug for why we do this as a regional course where uh, upstate South Carolina might have some different things to think about compared to the low country. And so I think that helps us to 
custom make uh, the trainings uh, to be just, you know, even a little bit more relevant to the folks who are signing up for that specific part of uh, the state. Definitely, that's great to point out. So um, since this is Library Voices SC, I thought I would ask maybe if you have any kind of favorite library experience you could share and it could be, you know, personal or, or work related. Mm, that's, that's a great question uh, and one uh, that makes me think about uh, not, not necessarily one specific like snapshot of an experience, um, but I have to make a shout out uh, to the Plainsboro Public Library in New Jersey as being the place that uh, when, I, when I was a, a little kid, like that was the public library that I went to uh, every single week, uh, had the greatest experiences with the children's librarians there. And they also had the greatest programming and things that you could do little like, uh, they had like computers that you could do like repair work on, which I think was felt unique at the time uh, back then. Um, lots of computer games to play that were all very educational. And then, uh, you know, I think I would come to those uh, children's librarians with, maybe these are kind of standard, uh, because I myself am not a children's librarian, but I, you know, like, oh, I love this one blue book. Uh, and I checked it out maybe like a year ago and I need to see it again. And like the vaguest uh, of, of requests uh, that they would work painstakingly with me through. Uh, and so um, I think my favorite library experience is all of the experiences I had at my uh, childhood public library in New Jersey. Uh, so, I think that's my answer. Uh, definitely started my love of libraries uh, and from a very early age made me very uh, aware of how central a role they can play in your life. Oh, exactly. And as, as you were talking, I was having little flashbacks to my childhood library experience, which was in Glastonbury, Connecticut, where I grew up. And uh, I re definitely remember the Wells Turner Library and getting my first library card there. So, so thanks for that little, little, uh, trace back to, to my childhood too. So um, I just want to remind folks that uh, the website for the NEDCC is actually just that, NEDCC.org, and you can go there and you can learn a lot more, not only about what the NEDCC does and what we've discussed, but also for folks here in South Carolina, you can learn more about the training that's going to be offered, and that's March through June of 2021. And remind me when that deadline for registration is. So at this point, uh, we don't have a specific deadline for registration, but the seats are filling up very, very fast. Uh, and classes, the courses start uh, for the regions in mid-March. Uh, and I think at this rate, uh, if you're not registering uh, sooner rather than later, there is a chance that you might get uh, um, your seat taken by somebody else. So we would encourage you to sign up and register as fast as possible. Great. Well, thank you. Well, I know folks who are interested in this, who serve in cultural heritage organizations, uh, would certainly benefit a lot from this training. So I uh, really appreciate all you've uh, discussed. So thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much, Curtis. It's been a, a huge pleasure uh, and a really enjoyable conversation. Thank you. I think so, too. And thank you to our listeners. You can find Library Voices SC on Podbean, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio or add us on your favorite podcast app. Our podcast website address is libraryvoices.podbean.com. We also love hearing from our listeners, so please send us your comments and suggestions for future topics. Library Voices SC is the official podcast 
of the South Carolina State Library. So until next time, this is Curtis Rogers. Thanks for listening.